This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Johara Tundok and Cavan. Discover the all-new Renault Arcana at Blackstone Motors that comes with a five-year warranty. Call us now to arrange a test drive or visit blackstonemotors.ie for more details. You're very welcome to Late Lunch this midweek Wednesday afternoon. I want to get straight to business today. Let me tell you about my first guest. He began experimenting with drugs when he was just 11. At 13, cannabis and alcohol were his go-to best friends. He was homeless for a time in the care of the state. He then went on to become addicted to heroin. He's tried to end his life on a couple of occasions. And at the same time... He's been attempting recovery from his addiction on numerous occasions as well. Well, his life finally changed for the better when he undertook the 12-step programme at Smarmore Castle, where he now works as an addiction advocate. I'm delighted to say hello on late lunch this afternoon to Anthony Deegan. Hello, Anthony. How are you? I'm good, thanks. thanks. Ah, not at all. I'm delighted to have you with us on the show. Let me say you have some story. I want to ask you this. This crossed my mind when when, when I read about you. Um, you came from a decent family. You say this yourself. And, you know, yeah. you wouldn't be a typical family that you'd say somebody would head down this road from. What sent you down this road of addiction when you look back now? That's that's something I've been looking at for years. Like, what was the actual thing that made me become an addict? And you know what? There is no one thing. It's I'm just one of those very small percentage of people to where whether it's biological, psychological, or it was my environment. So you can't pinpoint one thing and a combination, as you say, of, I of, of many. I'm gonna be an addict one way or another. Okay. Um, now. Let's move your story on. A, a, a very decent family. You were the middle child. Um, you you have, were subsequently diagnosed with d- dyslexia. Do you think any of those things? Because you mentioned that middle child thing that you thought the older child and the younger child might be favoured above yourself. Yeah. So, like even with the dyslexia. Um, so the dyslexia, I wasn't diagnosed with further on, but it would have had a, a part in it. Um, and. As long as I can remember, it was always full of fear. And with that fear, it's it's what set my mind off into the start of thinking that, like, my father liked my older brother more and my mother, even though she was just looking after my younger brother, it just I felt left out, you know. It was all stuff that came up inside of me, not anything that they were doing in particular themselves. Your parents separated, and, of course, you were betre- between two homes then at that stage. That couldn't have been a help. No, it was it was quite difficult bouncing from one place to another. A further 
had me thinking then, yeah, I, there's definitely something wrong with me. Um, nobody likes me, nobody loves me, and it's been thrown from one to the other. Yeah, it was it was quite difficult at the time. It got to the stage where your mother decided, what, what age were you, 13 or so? She said, look it, I can't handle this guy anymore, and she put you into the care of the state. Yeah, and it wasn't quite like that where she couldn't handle me. It was more so, what I can see now today, is that she was giving me a better opportunity. Um, and a significant event happened in the in the family to where it was it was needed for me to live. Um, and it was only supposed to be for a short period of time, but my behaviours got worse. Um, my addiction got worse, and it, it wasn't able for them. It was more the state made the decision that, now we need more help. Um, it's not going to be suitable for them to be at home and, and this sort of stuff. And, and yeah, so it was 19 before I, I returned fully back to the, the family home. And in that time you were out, you were fostered by different families, you were in hostels, uh, you experienced difficult times. Yeah, it was. It was There's no line about it. It was a very difficult time. But to be honest, even though with all that fear, and the fear I spoke about was a child, I'd learned to cope with that by masking it. You know, um, I describe it as... <clears throat> having low self-esteem and a big ego. You know, it's it was very torturous being like that, but I couldn't let people see that it was full of fear, especially being in the hostels on the streets and that sort of stuff. And, yeah, it was quite traumatic. You say yourself, like, that your behaviour, even when you came back home, was off the wall. You ended up living on the streets for a time. Yeah. You started with substances, then alcohol, you were in cannabis. What age were you when you first took heroin? 16 would have been the first time I, I tried heroin. Um, with a with a childhood friend, and to be quite honest, I absolutely hated it. I hated the feeling I got from it. It wasn't the type of drugs I was into at the time. I would have been into all the party drugs, but I I thought I'd never do that again. And and how if you hated it initially, how do you get hooked on it, or, or did you just go back? Um, I, I tried it again, and I liked it the second time. It was I'd had some traumatic experiences in the meantime of that and this time it worked it took away all the pain it took away all the fear it quieted down to my mind and from there on out it was just off the races So you're 16 at that stage and this addiction continued for for many years how did you function like uh, you know I'm just trying to think in, in, in life terms you know home life had your home life did you leave your family home what happened from there? Yeah, it was it was very erratic. So by the time I was at nineteen, um, I was moving from apartments to places left, right, and centre. And then my brother passed through suicides, um, and I moved back to the family home. And only for my mother um, and my partner, I've been uh, again Michelle now since I was thirteen on and off. But we rekindled that a relationship, and that then gave me a little bit of direction and and sense of comfort. So things started to settle down, even though my use of alcohol and all other drugs went off the wall after me, brother. Um, it was sometimes getting a little bit of things just getting back together for short periods, and then they just explode again. How did you, you know, live? You mentioned your partner, you have children as well, you had a life to lead, you had people to support and they were depending on you. Were you able to ever hold down a job? I've had one or two jobs that I was able to hold down somewhat successfully and that was only due to 
kind people who are working there because like I wouldn't be in on Mondays, I'd be leaving on Fridays and um, making all sorts of excuses. So I did work in a place, um, Chris Hewitt's Motor Parts Distributors, for a few years um, and that was only through the kindness of the manager that was there. He had understanding uh, around me, brother, and that sort of stuff. Um, but like that, it was never fully consistent. I was in and out, it was unreliable and further on then, scaffolding was a job that I loved and I was able to hold down for for a period but come 2007 I didn't have a job up until maybe four years ago when I first started to come into recovery And how did you get by? How did you fund your habit? By that that stage I would have been on a methadone programme and it would have been just living off my disability and getting drink and drugs here and there where where they could afford it or some people call it a Labour Day addict. Um, but also, Michelle had a very good job and I just took what I could off Michelle. That's the, the sad truth of it. Mm. You got by any way possible. You, you, you did. And, and when you're an addict, you're you're stuck in in, in that vicious circle. Did, did you never sit back? You know, I suppose it's easy for me to say, I, I can't put myself in your shoes and say, holy Christ, this is just disastrous. Can I not extricate myself from this yeah and and I made attempts so 2004 I would have made my first attempt to get off of heroin so my mind was absolutely deluded I thought it was just heroin that was the problem even though my experience throughout my teens showed that all drinking drugs were, were an issue that I would have been addicted to them I didn't understand that and I thought and I got away from heroin a couple of times but what I've learned in recovery is it's not just the physical part of it the part that's sick in me is my mind um, and the way it's described to me is it's the only illness that tells you you haven't got it so it's recognised by the World Health Organisation as a health issue as an illness alcoholism and addiction but I didn't fully understand that um, and once I pick up any substance whether it's alcohol cannabis any drug any mind-altering drug, it kicks it off again and then I have no power whatsoever and and how that turns out. You mentioned there, Anthony, to me before the break that in your own mind you just don't see uh, the chaos or what's going uh, going on around you. You did try recovery on a number of occasions and you mentioned the methadone programme, which you're not too complimentary of the methadone programme, are you? No, I wouldn't be too complimentary. Look, it's it's help it's it's helpful, it's harm reduction, but it was never designed and never meant to have people on it for ten, fifteen, twenty. I know some people who are still on it after nearly thirty, forty years. You know, um and it's a debilitating drug, you're you're tied down to chemists, you're tied down to doctors. Um it does reduce the harm and maybe crime and that sort of stuff a little bit, but all other drugs are still um entailed in that. No, they're mixed and matched and it's I'm not too fond of it. It's helpful, but it's it's not meant to be used for a long, long term. Mm, good point. And I'm sure uh, many others in, in, in your situation with your experience would concur with what you say. Now, 2018 came along and you had attempted recovery numerous times, but you fell off the wagon. What was the lowest point? Oh, do you remember the point that you said, I have to really tackle this and you committed to tackling it? Um, see, that point came very early. So even around 2016, going into, I think it would have been my, in and around eight or ninth treatment, I've been in 11 in total, including Smarmo. Um, each time, like, I was there, that's it, I'm done, I'm done. But um, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one to answer because each time I went into treatment, I was there, that's it, I've done, I've reached me low. Um, and still not understanding or taking up the program of recovery that was on offer, which for me is a 12-step fellowship. That was the, the real treatment for me. Um, and not taking that up because I had a fear of the word God and this sort of stuff. Um, and every time I failed, because then again, my mind would trick me. And I would pick up one thing, and it's just going to be this one little time, and again, boom, after the races. So you can never, ever go back. As soon as you go back and use again, you're away on the slippery slope. But look at, you did finally uh, manage, and you credit the 12-step programme there in Smarmore Castle as, as being your saviour. What's different in this? Why have you stuck with this now? Why has it been successful for you? One easy answer to that is because it worked. I've tried everything. I've tried counselling. I've tried different therapies. I've tried day programs, support groups, um, and none of it worked. It helped. It's a great little support in the in the interim, but it was the twelve steps of recovery, which you know I've been introduced in army treatments, um, and Smarmar is is focused around that we run off the Minnesota model, which is around therapy and the twelve step program be it AA and ACA there's a lot of different 12-step fellowships mm. um, and it was when I took up that that's when it really that's when it really started to click in me I just surrendered to it and says look I've tried this so many times I haven't got a clue what's going on if I was able to keep myself clean I would have it's now time to try it a different way and you are inspirational now because not alone have you kicked the habit you are now an advocate, as I said, for others and you're helping others, you know, on this programme and to make their way from your experience as well. And you're employed in this area. That must be just such a great, uh, uplifting feeling for you. It is. It's it's very rewarding and it's somewhere I never thought I would be because I'm not very well educated. Um, so I haven't got too much in the academic skills or anything like that. But like that, in addiction, the best the best people to be able to help people in alcoholism or addiction is someone who's been through it themselves and have come out the other side and are living happy, peaceful lives. This woman, Michelle, must be an, a, a saint, is she? A saint would be describing her life, to be quite honest. And um, for Michelle to stick around with me for the last 28 years is nothing short of a miracle. You know, um, she has the patience of a saint. She's a, an amazing woman, to be quite honest. You know, she was the, one of the ones who never gave up hope. She obviously seen that goodness that was inside me. And I even getting an emotional, even just, just thinking of that. She's fantastic. And uh, the story is, is great with this really positive outcome. But do I take it that every day you, you still, even though you are employed professionally now, you are helping others, do you still have to deal with your own demons every day? Um, they don't have the power that they used to. Right. So, um, a lot of traumas that would have happened um, that haven't been fully dealt with, they don't affect me in the way that they used to, but I'll still need to go have professional help to, to walk through them. What the 12-step recovery program has given me is the ability to be able to just live and cope with me, my life and my feelings and emotions. Um, but I will, down the line, I'm starting to look at going to, to more in-depth therapy to 
walked through that sort of stuff. Mm. And it took you time. This was not an overnight thing. We're listening to the years. No. You know, it started yeah. when you were a child, you know what I mean, at 11, and, you know, you're in your 40s now or whatever. I want you to do two things before we finish today because there are people listening to me, and I know this, yeah. who are in addiction, you know what I mean, who are stuck in addiction of various kinds and they just can't see the light of day. What do you say to them? I say to them that if someone like myself can get through this, um, anybody can get through it. You know, it's about finding the supports. Um, they could check out the, the website at smarmorecastle, smarmorecastle.ie forward slash help. That would give them all sorts of information, and especially for families as well. So that's one piece that gets lost in all this. It's all focused around helping the addict and the alcoholic when families need to recover as well. So there's a nice little piece up there for how to help someone with an addiction and to look after themselves. There's also what are the signs of alcohol and drug addiction. And for me, it was a 12-step fellowship. Um, and for myself, I'm part, I'm a member of Cocaine Anonymous. Um, and a very useful and helpful website for them is caireland.info. And we also have a helpline, which is 87 317 4989 and that's 087-317-4989 um, and a part of my recovery is, is helping the next person mm. and you anticipated the second uh, uh, people I was going to mention and you have said it there of course for families and loved ones you know it with your mother yes. and family uh, with uh, Michelle as well what they have to go through because you know at times they're the forgotten ones yeah, we get, we get all the help. We've got uh, fellowships and Smarmore is good with the, the support with that as well. But it's mainly focused around the addict, you know, and the families need to look after themselves because it's a, it's a difficult one. Um, and I mentioned this before. Um, <clears throat> for me, tough love can be a, a good part of it, you know, um, because usually if an addict is, is happy with you, you're probably enabling them. But if an addict is angry with you, you're probably saving their life. So it's it's learning to look after yourself in all of this. That's terrific to finish on today. You've got to do the tough love, no matter how painful that is for the good of the person who's addicted. Anthony, you've done real good today, I have to say. Uh, I wish you well. You're a wonderful story. After all these years, here you are on the other side helping others. And thank you for joining me to tell your story today. Thank you very much. Take Appreciate care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Anthony Deegan there. Smarmore Castle. Check them out if you are affected by anything you're listening to on Late Lunch this afternoon. Our LMFM Radio Bingo. It's going great guns, honestly. And big winners. Elizabeth Callaghan from Raystown in RD. Bernadette Duffy lives in Courtown Kells. They won 400 each. Peter Ward doubled his luck. 800 euro. He's from Dremin. Next week's jackpot, 6,600 euro. Don't forget you can get your book across a range of outlets in Louth and Mead or check it out online lmfm.ie all the information is there I want to give two of you listening today a free play for a month yes four books which will cover you off for the next month and you could win big as well they're all free these books here's the questions it's the bingo nicknames I'm back to again today what number am I talking about in bingo parlance when I say 
Two little ducks. Ah, oh, it's a giveaway today. Two little ducks. What's the bingo number? Answers, please, to 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me now and we'll pick two of you before the end of the show. Want to say a big congratulations today? Ah, oh, yes, to my soap woman. Who is my soap woman? Do you remember her late lunch? Wasn't she fantastic? Jayanne Marr. Well, she's a mammy. Yes, congratulations to Jayanne and Darren who welcomed baby boy Jack Oliver into the world. Oh, he's a bouncing boy. He is indeed. Jayanne and Darren were delighted for you. And many, many congratulations from everybody here in the radio station to both of you. It's just great. It really, really is. Now, moving on on the show today. Listen to this. The waxing lyrical about it. What am I talking about? Yes, it's the debut novel. It's called Iron Annie, Life and Love in Dundalk's Bleak Underworld. And I'm delighted to say hello this afternoon to the man himself, the author, Luke Cassidy. Hello, Luke. Hi there. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Oh, not at all. Great to have you with us on the show. Well, are you blown away? Are you over the moon? Bowled over by the reaction? Um, it's it's been rather overwhelming to say the least. Yeah, it's it's been very good and um, let, let's just say quite intense over the last couple of weeks since the book came out uh, in the beginning of September. There, so. mm, I've been following you and I've been looking at all that's been written and said about you. That's why I'm delighted to have you with me today. Yeah. Tell us this debut. How long has this been in the making? I suppose that's really hard to say, you know, because uh, I, I think like every writer, you you, you start off uh, writing short stories, maybe your little sketches here and there. And I've been doing that for years. Um, but Iron Annie kind of happened quite quickly. Once I started, I sort of, it was, it was a bit of a sprint, you know, um, which I think you can perhaps feel as well when, when you're reading it. It, it. it has quite a pace, I guess. And... Um, that happened so from about April until August 2018. So in a very short space of time, really, uh, that, that all came together for me. And, and it was a very intense and transformative sort of an experience in the sense that before that, I had always been the type of a writer who planned things out and tried to kind of get, get an overall structure, a sense of what is happening before I would start. Whereas with Iron Annie, I really just started with this this voice of Aoife, the protagonist, the main character. Um, mm. I, 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 you, you, you read out this um, blurb, I, I suppose, from the Irish Times or the Indo, I'm not sure, um, describing it as Dundalk's bleak underworld. It is It is a bleak underworld, but it's also a very vivid one, a very yeah. celebratory one, a very exciting one. So it's, it's kind of true to life in that sense. Mm. So have you moved in this world? <laughs> I'm from Dundalk, uh, <laughs> so let's say I, I'm just um, a bystander, an innocent bystander. <laughs> growing, up, growing up, I just, uh, you know, you, you can't help, like, I don't want to overemphasize that side of things, you know, the, mm. the sort mm. of the drugs or the occasional violence that does does occur. I mean, it has this sort of thrilling, thriller as aspect, this kind of crime aspect as well and in, mm. in, indeed in the united states and canada it's going to be published under so vintage uh which is part of penguin random house they're publishing it but they're publishing it under their um under their crime imprint oh terrific a vintage crime yeah which is quite a surprise because bloomsbury in ireland and the uk uh put it out as a, as a literary novel so it's quite different approaches that they're taking it's very interesting for me to see that yeah um i, I suppose like 
you know, there's no sense in in pretending that that stuff doesn't exist, that mm, it's not there. Mm, mm. And it just happens that Aoife, the protagonist, you know, she she really um, was shaped by that environment, I would say. She sees herself as this kind of a, a wheeler dealer character that we'd all be familiar with in this region. Mm. Do, do, yeah. do you know someone like Aoife or is it based on anyone or is Iron Annie, who uh, of course is our, our, our lover, are, are they based on any true character or is it a, a figment of your imagination? No, they're, they're, they're entirely fictional um entirely fictional creations yeah. i would say but but let's let's just say that they are kind of especially eve is reflective of a, a specific type of yeah. character that does exist in in the border region generally let's yeah. say north loud specifically mm. um so it's it's not based on any one person in that sense and it's certainly not based on me <laughs> <laughs> And Annie, of course, you bring East Belfast into it, you know, which is a, a real contrast with Dundalk, as we know, historically. Yeah, well, my grandmother was from East Belfast, right. uh, so I, I, I suppose I felt like I, I have the right to do that mm. <laughs> in, in, in that sense. Um, but also, I suppose one of the things I'd say is, is just that you know, of all of the difficulties that Aoife and Annie experience in their in their relationship, uh, that difference, so the Protestant Catholic difference, if for you know to put it bluntly, mm. um, it was certainly the smallest thing. It, it actually isn't a thing. You mm. know, mm. they have a lot of different differences on a personal level, uh, on a sense of understanding their own relationship and where they're going with it. Especially, I won't give any spoilers away. No, but it's just sort of reflective of the of the kind of you know uh, hope of moving on you mm, know, mm. In, in I, I guess when my grandmother and my grandfather got together that was quite a scandal but you'd like to think that um it wouldn't be the case today these days although yes. who knows yeah, well, oh, look at yeah, but but no, it it really shouldn't be. You mentioned you've been writing and you've uh, had uh, experience of uh, short stories and things before. Bloomsbury is a great backer to have to get a publisher like that. Uh, did they jump at this straight away? Did it take long to get them on board? You know, I, I think that the the journey of any novelist with their first novel is 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 usually uh, not a not a straightforward one. But I've been very lucky to have had great support in the form of my my agent, who's actually based in Bedistan, um, and he uh, sort of championed the book. We went out first on submission in 2019, so we were trying to get a publisher just before the the pandemic and whatnot and and we did get a lot of interest and uh indeed one offer which i won't say who it was from but we ended up turning it down because it just wasn't where we wanted it to be we did have strong interest from the editor paul bagley uh who's now editor-in-chief of bloomsbury mm. but he was at the time publisher at uh picador which is another great publisher yes. um and so it, it was a kind of a we we knew that he would be moving and it was sort of halfway moving with him in a sense to to kind of bring it to Bloomsbury before we would then try try again, like let's say mm. a second. And then it just happened then that I got representation in North America and just there was a, a let's say a, a, an alignment of the stars such as that both of those deals were able to be made in quick succession. Mm. And then I, I don't know if you would have had on your on your on, on whatever information you have the, about the, the television adaptation deal. 
No, I mean, it, it's on my list of questions to come to next. So you might as well you might as well take that one up now. Go on. Oh well, it's it's it's. I mean, it, it'll be very exciting if it comes to yeah. fruition. Uh, which right now it's in development. Um, mm. If it comes to fruition, so we we sold the um, rights to 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 uh, develop the the intellectual property into a TV show, which I'm uh, myself adapting. Uh, in terms of writing the screenplay from the book mm. uh, to world productions. They're, they're the people who made the likes of Bodyguard, Line of Duty and stuff like that. So it's quite, it would be really great. I'd love This is big, more. this is big, man. Yeah, I'd love nothing more than to see like, you know that sort of production quality on the streets of Dundalk. Yeah, wouldn't it be terrific? It, it really would. But look, uh, I said to you at the beginning, uh, uh, you must be so proud and d- delighted that it's taken legs like it has, and just not in this country, but abroad, and now with, with the TV as as well. Y- you know... <laughs> When, when you go at this for the first time, as you said, it's a, a, a new phase in your life. You've written before. Come back to that again. What else do you do? Tell us a little bit more about yourself, Luke. Well, I, I suppose the main thing I'm doing at the moment is actually in in preparation for uh, the premiere of a, of, a, of a tour, which is it's it's the Iron Annie Cabaret. I'm still you know very much in this world of of, of Iron Annie. And as I, you know, I'm a full-time writer now, so I, I'm I'm also working on the follow-on. Mm. But the, the the premiere of the Iron Annie Cabaret, which is a stage show that that combines theatre, uh, live music, uh, that'll premiere this Friday at the Town Arts Centre here in Dundalk, uh, and then it'll go on from there. Where we have 15 um, 15 shows uh, across the country, basically. Um, in October and November, followed by uh, a spring set in 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 March 22, which will consist of Dublin, Cork and Belfast and Letterkenny for the for the good value. My, oh my, book, musical, TV, sure, the only thing missing then is movie down the road. Are you ready for that? Yeah. Uh, that'd be a dream, wouldn't it? Oh. You know, I'm, I'm sort of still exploring around, you know, seeing... seeing yeah. Because I, th- I think the world, you know, of Iron Annie is, is one which is very visual it is very cinematic and music also played a massive role in terms of my inspiration for the book in terms of kind of what i was drawing on in in, in terms of the spirit of let's say uh this region in particular but also mm. just the, the 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 spirit of adventure that you find in it uh, so it was quite it was quite natural then to me to sort of i have done various um smaller uh theater productions in the past so like this was this was something that all through all through lockdown basically i've been i've been trying to plan for this Mm. and that kind of took legs again i had only planned the one show um but then i got quite an overwhelming result from theaters around and i was lucky enough to be uh awarded a touring uh touring award from the arts council and then yeah. additional funding from Louth county council and with the support of my publishers then so now this is a really full national tour so as i say starting here in dundalk and i'm delighted about that it's great and you know the timing is perfect as we open up again and the world uh, gets back to where it was uh, pre the last couple of years of course with uh, many challenges I-, I will say too um it's a wonderful story. I have to say it's sort of a fairy tale, to be honest, which is the way this has opened up for you. And uh, all I can say is I wish you all the very best. And, you know, you. the future is really, really exciting for you. The book's available, uh, un- published under Bloomsbury, available all around the place at the moment. And I presume you can get it online as well. 
Absolutely, you can. And uh, I'd invite any of the listeners locally to come along to the Town Arts Centre. We still have a few tickets left for this weekend, so please do come along and, and join us uh, Friday, 8pm. Place to be. Great stuff. Well, look at Luke. Uh, best wishes from us here. Congratulations to you. Iron Annie, the waxing lyrical, I'll say about it again. You got to get it. You got to read it. It'll have resonance. It based in Dundalk with resonance with everybody across the region here, no matter where you live, the country and beyond. Take care and good luck with Thanks. everything. The world's your oyster. Thank you very much. Bye now. Take care now. Luke Cassidy there. Iron Annie is the name of the book. Good guy. And isn't it great to hear of somebody uh, that success beckons for them and he's one of our own. We wish him well. Late lunch. LMFM radio still to come. Oh, jeez, have you hung out the washing this morning? You're in trouble. It's, you know what, out there at the moment. Anyway, Colin O'Brien has a wee invention he's going to tell us about in a wee while. We're going to hear more about Jack and Jill, Artist of the Week, and it is National Breastfeeding Week. Stay with us on Late Lunch. Wherever you will go, the calling Los Angeles Rockers 2001. We're going back to there. The good wishes just keep on coming. We're very grateful. Lovely to hear from Pat and Margaret Hanrazy this afternoon. Congratulations to you, Louise. You and Louise on your award, which is well deserved. Yesterday's programme too, Jerry, was simply excellent. Thanks indeed for those lovely words. Aidan's been on to say, Jerry, I was back in the office yesterday for the first time in 18 months and so missed your wonderful show. Only six people, Jerry, in an open open plan office that normally has a hundred and fifty. My very strange, says Aidan. It must be. Anyway, congratulations to you on the Golden Award. It's so well deserved. You've kept us entertained and brightened our difficult COVID days. Professor Moyne as well on Tuesdays. His contributions had such a positive message. Thanks for all the positivity and congrats once again, Aidan. Lovely message, much appreciated by Louise and myself. Now, Louise, question for you. Please, today, if you don't mind. (laughs) (laughs) We should call this putting Louise on the spot on late lunch. (laughs) Natalie Imbruglia, you know, the singer. Yeah, Beth and East. Yeah, talking talking today about having having a baby at 44 in 2019. She had a baby boy back then at 44 Mm. years of age and she's just talking about and what it was like having a baby a little later than in life. Do you think there are many women now, you know, 40s, mid 40s, beyond having babies? I reckon so. I I think they're getting later in the age because women are just busier and they're putting their careers first. I think there's a lot of women that'll have their first baby at 40 in the 40s. It's Could be wrong, but I think Yeah, it is late though, isn't it, to have a first baby? It is late. Mm. 40 is... You know, mm. to have the first. Yeah, they, they the medical professional tell you it's late. Then mm. with science today, sure you can have a baby. You can have what a baby with, with science today. 50, you, let me say this: with science today, you can have a baby when you can't have a baby. You know, <laughs> that's the way it is. But like, you know, forty as the forties tick on forty-four. Anybody listening? I'm curious about this. Anyone listening to us today? A mum out there that's had a baby in their 40s. Anyone older than 44, I wonder. Are you talking first babies or just a baby? A baby. Let's let's throw out a baby. A I baby. had my last baby at 41. Right. So That was your third. Um, that was my third. So I'm sure there are loads more that's even older. 44, Natalie and Brulier. Is there a 45, a 46, a 47? There's no one 50. 
I, I bet you there's nobody that could be there's no no not that it couldn't be I wouldn't say there's anyone listening to us today at 50 that had a baby I would say would you say I'm, I'm, I'd, I'm I'd go with you on that yeah I, okay. I, I could be surprised but anyone in their 40s hello late lunch land hello out there everybody do you know of someone or are you someone listening today who had a baby in their 40s mid 40s let's say let's say around then the Natalie age 44 45 46 Anybody out there that age had a baby? Well, First baby. It's a new thing, Jerry. Hmm. I think, like, my mum had her last child at 45. Right. So I don't think it's a new thing, but I think it might be getting a little bit back in vogue. Because of careers? Careers and. Putting it on hold? Yeah. Things like that? Hmm. Hmm. Just curious. You know, our curiosity. We're always curious on late lunch. Are you somebody who had a baby in the 40s, mid 40s, perhaps beyond? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. 086 1800 658. That's 086 1800 658. You can WhatsApp us or text us. Or if you want to call in, it's 1857 and leave your details with Karen. I'm just curious. Is it a thing? Are there more women waiting to that age to have babies? They say the ideal age, isn't it? 20s, early 20s, that type of age. You yeah, know what I mean? very to, young. To have, have a, a baby. But Do you think, though, that the early 20s now are mm, kind of dwindling? Perhaps it is. On the other hand, that's mm. another uh, question to consider. But we're looking for the 40-year-old mammies today in late lunch land and beyond. We want to see, are there mammies out there? With babies, I had babies at that age, first, second, third, whatever baby you had into your 40s, mid 40s. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you again. The number is 086 1800 658. After the break, if you hung the washing out and it's wet, well, you should be watching and keeping an eye on the weather, I have to say to you. But how could you keep the weather, an eye on the weather, uh, Louise, in Ireland? Because one minute it's sunshine, the next minute it's rain, especially at this no, time ahead. of the year. Anyway. Uh, you want to wear waterproofs <laughs> the whole time. And then you can put them out. Colin O'Brien has the line of clothing that you hang out in the morning sorted for you it'll never be wet I promise with you stay with us on late lunch sorry for your troubles if you hung out the washing earlier it's soaked <laughs> the rain has poured in and I know people are probably going to work hung it out and it was nice and breezy this morning but don't despair there's something on the horizon that may end all those ruined days when you have to fire it then into the uh, dryer to get it dry joining me on the line is he's, he's a lecturer in DKIT and he's come up with an Invention called Peggy Rain. What a name. Colin O'Brien, hello. Good afternoon, Jerry. I hope you're keeping very well and good afternoon to all your listeners. I am keeping well indeed. Well, tell us about this thing and how it works. Okay, so what Peggy Rain is, Peggy Rain is a clothesline that rescues your washing from the rain. So you simply you hang out your washing in the morning and if a shower rain comes along, as it often does like today, what Peggy Rain does, Peggy Rain will sense that it's starting to rain and it will then pull a cover across your clothes to keep them dry. So Peggy Rain takes that hassle out of outdoor clothes drying. You don't need to be there. So it's really just to make our lives easier and not to be rushing home or ringing your significant other to go and bring the washing in and it might be falling on deaf ears. Now, this is some concept, I have to say to you, because you will certainly be the darling of the people, of all the people listening today who hang out there washing and are caught in the circumstances where the rain comes in. Now, explain a little more to me. Do you need a specific clothesline? So what we actually do with Peggy Rain, we supply the whole lot. So with Peggy Rain, you get the Peggy Rain clothesline, you 
get the cover. And what we've actually invented, the Peggy Rain funnel, and we're manufacturing all of Peggy Rain in Ireland. And with Peggy Rain, you have these little cotton tablets. And it's a very simple product. There's no batteries or charging or electronics. You simply clip in the little cotton tablet. And once a shower rain comes along, it'll sense this and it'll automatically pull the cover across the line. So we supplied the whole lot and uh, we're selling it directly all around Ireland at the moment. So we're actually, we were a bit like the farmers earlier on in, in late summer uh, waiting for the rain and we're building stock. And since it started raining, we've been selling out all over the country and overseas as well. So it's been going really well for us. How long is a standard Peggy Rain line? OK, so Peggy Rain, the line itself is five metres. And what you actually get with Peggy Rain, you get an extra line bringing up to 10 metres. And what we're finding, a lot of customers, some customers, depending on the size of the garden, we had um, a lovely customer yesterday in uh, Carlo. She, she has two Peggy Rains out in the farmyard, and she's now going to be a granny for the second time. So she actually bought another Peggy Rain for her, for her daughter with the kids' clothes co- coming now with the ba- extra baby juice. So, yeah, so Peggy Rain, you get the clothesline, you get the clothes pegs, you get everything in, in the actual box. And we're shipping it directly um, out to customers around the country. And you can uh, tie it onto your existing line poles or if you have a hook in the wall to wall, it'll work on anything like that. And you can join the uh, different lengths of this together to make a longer line. Exactly. That's exactly it. So it's very easy to set Peggy Rain up. It only takes a few minutes and then you just hang your washing out in the morning and then you can, you can get on with your day. So um, if you're in town or you're to protect the kids or whatever you need to do, that's stress. And that's the annoyance that people have. It's just, you know, it's starting to rain and usually you might ring home and no one is answering or, or is going to bring them in for you. But with Peggy Rain, that stress is gone and it will look after your washing and it'll cover them over and keep them dry. So, um, yeah, look, the, the weather today is well, it's starting to rain. So uh, we're, we're, getting, we're getting more and more people as the, as, as the bad weather is coming in. But really, a lot of people, especially in Ireland, they love to hang out the washing. And um, the other thing we've noticed, uh, we were actually selling a lot in the UK. And about a month ago, the price of electricity went up a lot in England. And um, now using a tumble dryer in England, it was around 200 sterling per year. And the price has skyrocketed. And the same thing is coming along here in Ireland. So we're getting more people now looking to dry clothes out, outside. It, sa- it saves you money and it's actually better for the environment. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going, going really, really well for us. And uh, we're, we're, we're delighted to come on today and have a chat to you about taking your aim. Now, you say these uh, uh, crystals are, uh, what is it, little little uh, tablets, are they sense the rain? And does the cover then move? It's a cover that's hanging on one end of the line, I take it. And when it's activated, it travels along the line covering the washing. Is that the idea? Exactly, yes. Yeah. So it's like, a, it's like a curtain that's pulled back. Okay. You hang out your washing and then once it starts to rain, the little cotton tablet, and the cotton tablet is uh, biodegradable as well and you can use it for a wipe around the house or you can put it into the compost afterwards. So we mm. actually supply 25 cotton tablets with the product as well. So you've plenty... Plenty of drying days there with Peggy Rain. And uh, yeah, it's all, it's all automatic. You just don't need to be there. And um, you could actually be, be off doing whatever you need to be doing and Peggy Rain will have you covered. What about a line pole that many people use? Do you, can you use a line pole with it or must you have it in a straight line from end to end? Uh, yeah, so if you've, got, if you've got poles up already with your own clothesline, you can simply put the Peggy Rain on and replace the old line and you can string it across there and it, it'll work as well. OK, so, so it, it works with a line pole. What about very windy days? Now, say it's quite windy and, you know, clothes are getting a good blow. Will it work in those circumstances? Yeah, so if it's like if it's really coming to storm force or very, very high winds, um, yeah, look at Peggy Rain, you, you can actually clip it back. Um, 
But if it's normal Irish weather, it'll work and it'll, it'll dry the clothes. But there is actually little weights on the cover as well. So that'll keep it down. But if it is excessively windy, um, you could add more weights onto it. But uh, no, Jen, we've had Peggy Rains uh, popping up all around the country, from RD to the Iron Islands, um, <laughs> over to Liverpool, and a few in the US as well. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually um, it's quite a good product to, to, to put out in the Irish weather. We designed it with the Irish weather in mind, mm. and um, so far so good. We're, we're really happy with, with the way things are going. You, uh, if I'm not mistaken, appeared on Dragons Den in your day. I did, you're dead right. And I'm not sure, I'm trying to remember, I was on LMS a number of years ago, and uh, we, had, we actually had a clothesline back then, and it was a, good, a great product as well. Um, it was a little bit expensive. So that product we had at the time was the Rolls-Royce. It was coming in around €250, Euro, right. and um, we, had, we had a great run with it as well. But what I actually found was, um, I was I was actually living overseas with my girlfriend in Hong Kong, and I came. I was actually having dinner one day, and I came across these little cotton tablets. So basically, before you have your dinner, you just wet these little cotton tablets, and they expand into a little napkin. And I said to my girlfriend, my God, I can go back and revisit this, and I can do it for, for a lot cheaper, and I can also manufacture it in Ireland. So that's where we've come full circle, and we're actually, we decided to, to do all the manufacturing in Ireland and to sell it from Ireland around the country and in overseas as well. But yeah, we were on Dragons 10 years ago. It was a great experience for us, mm. and uh, it was a great product. And, uh, but with Peggy Rain, what we wanted to do, we wanted to get a product that the Irish people could buy, they would save money, and it wouldn't cost the earth either. So we've got a, and actually, Jerry, we've, um, if you go on to uh, P-E-G-G-Y or A-I-N, if you, go, if you Google Peggy Rain on your phone, and if you type in and you go to checkout, and if you type in LMFM, we've a nice little discount there for your listeners today. So uh, we're, try, we're trying to, um, to, to make life easier for everybody and to make it as cost effective as well. Peggy Rain, who is Peggy? Well, I'll be honest, uh, Jerry. look, what actually happened was, it was a number of years ago, I was living overseas. I, I came back from Australia and I had an idea for another product. And uh, I found out that that product was patented by somebody else, nothing to do with clotheslines. It was a totally different product. And uh, I was back living at home at Julianstown. And uh, at the time, I asked my mom, look, I was kind of despondent. I was at home. And I said, is there anything else I could do to make your life easier? And mom said, if you could come up with something that I don't have to run in and out to get the washing every time it rains, that'd be a good product. And uh, as I said, that was a number of years ago. And mom's name was Margaret. And um, granny was Peggy. And uh, Mama since passed away. But when we formed the company earlier on uh, this year, we decided to call it Peggy Rain in honour of Mam. So look, I didn't, it wasn't my idea. I'm just the engineer that facilitated. So I have to give Mam full credit for, for, for Peggy Rain. Uh, and that's, that's, that's where the product came about. PeggyRain.com and you won't be giving out about the Irish weather anymore. And Colin <laughs> O'Brien will be forever in uh, your grateful uh, book of people who've done something wonderful for you. Wish you well with it. Lovely to talk to you today. Thanks a minute, Jerry. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. 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 God Almighty, the creative mind, the inventive mind is something else. I don't have it, to be honest with you, but that man does, and he's been involved in many projects. But this thing, it, it look, it's selling, and uh, if it can save your day and uh, prevent you resorting to the uh, dryer, as I said, with energy costs on the rise all round, well... It's worth, to, uh, it's worth to check out, isn't it? It really is. PeggyRain.com if you want more information. Short break and we're back with Jack and Jill. 
You will know by now that here on LMFM Radio, we're highlighting the invaluable work carried out by the Jack and Jill Foundation. Yes, Jack and Jill provides and funds in-home nursing care and respite support for children up to the age of six, enabling parents to care for their very sick child at home. Currently, 396 children and their families are being cared for across Ireland, and 13 of those are in the Louth and Meath areas. And today, on Late Lunch, I'm joined by Cameron McDonald. He's Head of Marketing at Glenvay Homes. Hello, Cameron. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you very much. And the reason you're with us is because you are, are huge supporters of Jack and Jill. Where does that come from? How did you become involved with them, Cameron? Yes, absolutely. And I think just to touch on your point, I think the fantastic work that they do right around the country um, yeah, and the amount of hours that go towards such a great cause I think from a, from from our own perspective, you know, it, it, it's a partnership that we're absolutely proud to be um, a, a part of. It, it, it came about through our Building Lasting Communities Initiative um, as as a national home builder. For us, it's, it's as important to invest in local communities where we build. We bring people into communities, so we we have an ethos here to to help and support across kind of six key pillars within each of them communities where we can and charity being one of them. And I think that Jack and Jill is uh, just such a fantastic organisation that does, um, you know, great work each and every year. Um, and, and, and that's kind of, of why we've chosen them as a, uh, one of our charity partners. It's a great choice, may I say, because the work they do, as you said, is phenomenal. And it's only, I, I don't have to remind you of this, Cameron, when you're a family in that situation that you appreciate and understand that support. Yes, absolutely. Um, I am, you know, I, I'm lucky enough myself that we're not in that situation, but certainly from talking to Jack and Jill and understanding the great work that goes on. Um, and as part of this fundraising effort and, and the many other ones that Jack and Jill do, every 18 euro raise goes towards uh, an hour of care for each of them children. Mm. So, so for us to be able to try and play our part with Jack and Jill, I think it's it's an important part for the country and certainly in each of these communities where where, where them families are. And I know Jack and Jill are really appreciative of Glenvay Home Support, which is substantial. And I know they want me to thank you here on the airwaves today for that. You know, as I said, we're absolutely proud to be behind. I think Jack and Jill as a charity is a fantastically run organisation that is really, you know, meeting needs that, 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 that people need and these families need. So for us as a builder that, that wants to take an active part in communities and help in any way we can, it's, it's, it's just a great partnership. And I think the longer that we can work together to, to, uh, through this partnership is, 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 um, you know, very positive. Oh, that's great to hear. So it is your commitment to it. Now, your, your Glenvay Community Engagement Programme, of course, spans a, a range of wider activities in local communities. Give us a feel for the other things you're involved in. Yes, we have a, uh, as part of our CSR initiative, it's called Building Lasting Communities. And I think right throughout the ethos of our own company, long before even we were Glenvay, we, um, you know, we understand, we employ local, we're part of each and every community that we build in. We're ultimately, you know, creating and, and, and becoming part of them communities and bringing customers into them. So, so as a, a marketing initiative and, and a CSR strategy, we wanted to invest in them communities and we kind of, we did a lot of research and understanding and speaking to, to, to community members to understand what mattered most and what made really great communities. 
um, and, and we kind of focus our investment across six key pillars that, that we believe and we understand make up the pillars of a community. Charity, local economy. So we like to support business wherever, local business wherever we can. When our residents move in, we, we, we tend to work with local businesses to introduce them and, and give support where we can. We're quite active in the sports and fitness and particularly at young academy level. So we do a lot of sponsorship in local communities at that academy level where, where young, young children are, are starting probably their first time in sport. And we try to invest in clubs where we can to make them better and to kind of add value within them communities. Also sustainability, we invest in sustainability with our own, own developments but also in local schools within them communities. So we have a um, biodiversity in schools program where we work with local schools and students on the, the importance of sustainability and lots and lots of great initiatives there. Um, health and well-being and then, then education um, through um, you know, t- talks in school, beginning to roll out site visits, apprenticeship programs um, and things like that. So that's at a very high level the basis of it and, and, and where we focus on and, and I think we're definitely a firm believer that if we can build you know, better communities and larger places to live then, then, then we're playing our part in, 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 the home, um, in the home buying journey. And your staff as well. I have to come back to Jack and Jill. That volunteering uh, initiative you were involved in with Jack and Jill, the stores in Newbridge and Tullamore. Great experience for your people. We had a fantastic day and again a great, great initiative by Jack and Jill um, and an unbelievably well-run organisation. Uh, they, they came up with the concept and we worked with on them to have an apprentice-style uh, shop takeover. So um, our staff um, from Tullamore, we, we've got local staff where we can given that we have a site in Tullamore and in uh, Newbridge and they partook in, um, in taking over the shop effectively for the day and trying to raise mm. as much funds as possible. Um, and they did a fantastic job between the whole build-up. We have a volunteering policy internally to for, for people to be active in communities to take a day. To be honest, I'd say there was a good few days taken um, in terms of the build-up and the strategizing between each team. But a fantastic day, and they ended up raising almost €17,500 um, for Jack and Jill. And again, that's going to this, mm. you know, the great cause of helping sick children. Well done to you and again well done to Glenvey Holmes on your support for Jack and Jill and just reminding listeners before you leave us that you can support Jack and Jill too the campaign is called Up the Hill for Jack and Jill there's a lovely ring to it hasn't it and you can register by logging on to jackandjill.ie Cameron well done to all again in Glenvey lovely to talk to you today Great to talk to you too and thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. That's Cameron McDonald, their Head of Marketing at Glenvey Homes who are backing Jack and Jill up the hill and all the way. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. God almighty, yes, there's a number of you had babies in your 40s. We posed the question to you today. Natalie and Brulier had a baby at 44. Anyone listening to us today had babies in the 40s, towards the mid-40s? If you have, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. Coming up after three, you do know I'll have my Artist of the Week. And it's Irish all the way with our Artist of the Week and late lunch this month it's Mary Black this week have a lovely song for you and more about her and we'll be having a, a chat with Brenda Peeper Callan from Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital it's National Breastfeeding Week now my artist of the week is Mary Black and following the success of Mary's first solo album she ventured 
into traditional Irish music, she joined the Dannon, oh there's a name for you, with whom she toured extensively and recorded an album called Anthem, which became the Irish Album of the Year in 1987. In parallel, though, she continued to develop her own solo career, moving in a more modern musical direction with albums like Collected, which she released in 1984, and The Wonderful Without the Fanfare in 85. She was named Irish Entertainer of the Year in 1986 and Best Female Artist in the Country, two years running, 87 and 88. Oh, Mary was flying high. She rounded off the 80s in style too, with the multi-platinum selling album by the time it gets dark and crowning it all off yes with no frontiers the album what an album that is in 1989 which turned triple platinum in this country and listen to this it stayed in the top 30 in the irish charts for over a year into 1990 some success for her and today i go to that album for my mary black song it's the theme song from the album That was the international version of No Frontiers, released for an international audience. <laughs> Did you cop it? Yes, we played it two days in a row. But you know what? I'd listen to that song every day, to be honest with you. Once in a very blue moon from Mary Black, my artist of the week. No Frontiers on this show. Yes, no Frontiers at all, to be honest with you. Anyway, we'll get No Frontiers for you tomorrow afternoon. When I continue the Mary Black story in words and song. But this week is a very important week because it's National Breastfeeding Week in Ireland and as they say breast is best well we're talking about it next with Brenda Peeper Callan this week is National Breastfeeding Week and we always give it an outing on late lunch we have done over the years and she's a good friend of ours on the show she's the clinical midwife specialist in infant feeding at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda and I'm delighted to say hello again to Brenda Peeper Callan hello Brenda hello Jerry. nice to hear you again and nice to hear you too unfortunately I'm not with you again this year but please God there's always next year anyway let's start from that point during the last 20 months or so with Covid abounding how did you manage? It's been a very challenging time Jerry. I think for everybody mothers, babies fathers, families and I think in fairness we've managed quite well we've had to adjust and learn really on our feet and of course as you know we had the barrier the face mask was a huge thing for us restriction on visiting very challenging for parents and families who are starting out on a new journey for ourselves yeah we had to get used to that face mask and not being able to see our mums while you're there to see us and for our babies looking at us we did continue the service on a one-to-one basis in the hospital and I think you know that was great that we were able to do that and um, the restrictions were limited from that point of view that we had contact with our ladies all at all times and you know you do have links from the hospital and I know you have people uh, that you work closely with in Quidju and Lalesh League and MyChild.ie people I take it that technology has facilitated them and you too Absolutely and my colleague here was amazing she actually ran a breastfeeding class online and as you know the co- the um, cyber attack kind of put an end to that mm. on us but our links with Lalesh and Kidju were great and Lalesh and Kidju need to be um, you know rewarded for the work that they did they were very fast in getting online and running their classes online and 
I guess, again, the um, cyber attack interfered with us slightly from a communications point of view because the Lech League would always send us in their weekly um, appointments, no matter where they took place in the country. And that took an end with the cyber attack. But thankfully, that's up and running now again. But Kidju and the Lech League were great in um, reaching out to mums. And um, it was lovely for us to be able to say to a mother when she was going home, check online, there's always something available. And even if the class was in Cork, it didn't yeah. really matter because the mother got, you know, that support, mm. Mm. even if it wasn't face-to-face and it's through the medium of a computer screen or a phone screen. Yes, yeah, that's terrific. Tell me about the blood bikers because we're familiar with them and what they do and the wonderful work and support they provide on a voluntary basis but they played their part with breastfeeding as well. Yeah, they're absolutely amazing. And on Friday, we had one of the representatives from Kukulin blood bikers in. We learned about them probably because we were facilitating mothers during COVID as well with um, a pump, breast pump. And it's a little something we do here at the hospital. It's not done all the time. It's not, we say, a policy, but we do help our mothers as best that we can. And in one situation, we learned the pump couldn't come back into us. And somebody said, why don't you get the blood bikers? They've been delivering express breast milk to the neonatal unit. And we thought, oh, my goodness, they've been doing such amazing work. So one of the men came in on Friday on his bike with a lovely reception for him. And he was able to tell us that, indeed, you know, how the network worked. Maybe someone went to Enniskillen, picked up donated blood, donated milk, met somebody else at some junction on a motorway and took the milk to whichever hospital it was going to. So I think they really deserved it. And coincidentally, I met one of the men in RD doing um, a collection shortly around that time. Mm. So it made me more aware of them as well. So I think they were quite pleased with the... um our little get-together on yes, Friday and it went yes. out on social media. Ah, they great. were wonderful. Yeah, they're fantastic people. Now, every breastfeed makes a difference is still the theme. You have an audience today. Come on, sell it. Why <laughs> should a new mum uh, go breast? Well, you know, we have um, that theme still standing and we also have one for feeding the future. And that probably is a nice umbrella to put the other one under. So for women, you know, moving forward, it's looking at the benefits, the long-term benefits to breastfeeding for the mother and the baby. So whether it's um, for herself, for reducing the risk of cancers, weight loss, um, starting with continued breastfeeding. And for your baby, then you've got reduced risks of skin conditions, um, oral development. There are so many benefits and we can't forget bonding. And Yes, every feed makes a difference. And I guess looking into the future, we're on a journey. It's not an absolute thing. You're breastfeeding now and it may go smooth. The journey can take many turns. And that's where we come in to support and help you. So, yes, I'm glad they've put a new twist on this year and it's feeding the future because we're looking to the benefits and we're looking forward after coming out of what we've come from a pandemic. Now, many uh, women will be returning, and men, but let's talk about women today, to the workplace over the coming weeks and months who've had babies. And, uh, you know, yourselves in the HSE are supporters of women returning to work and across the employment spectrum. Talk to me about that for a moment. Yes, um, we've always supported um, mums coming back to work in the workplace. We have a Silver Workplace Award here at the hospital that came from our baby-friendly initiative status. And we have a room in the hospital to facilitate staff as well. And that was a limited um, support because it couldn't, it didn't go on forever. Maybe I should say it couldn't have gone on forever. But, you know, the HSE have just released a new policy and they want all our staff to know that breastfeeding is protected in the workplace for two years. So, again, as it was with the previous policy, you know, the member staff 
whatever area they work in, it doesn't have to be midwifery, you know, it's liaising with your, your um, manager when you're coming back to work, saying where you're at with your feeding, what your needs are, and it can be worked on together. But that is there and it is a policy. And I understand as well that in other public sector employment, from February of next year, they'll be looking at a similar support because... We realise the benefits of breastfeeding. We know that, but we have to support women to carry out that act of breastfeeding with their baby and facilitate them as best we can. And then you have a happy mum and baby, you have a happy mum returning to work knowing she can keep her feeding going. Can I ask you this while you're with me and before we finish? Um, you know when a mum is breastfeeding and the whole issue of taking medications, uh, you know, things like paracetamol, ibuprofen, uh, you know, things like that, uh, steroid decongestant, does that affect breastfeeding? I think everything that's um, prescribed is looked at, you know, anything that's prescribed by a doctor, the doctor takes a history from the mum and will know she's breastfeeding. As regards paracetamol, paracetamol can be taken, but I strongly advise anyone taking paracetamol to follow the instructions on the box and not exceed more than 8 and 24 hours. Paracetamol is a powerful drug, even though it's one we buy over the counter. So again, where a mum is taking something that's maybe not so common or over the counter, it's always good to liaise with your consultant obstetrician, your GP, your lactation consultant and here at the hospital we have wonderful support from the pharmacy so if we can't get our answer from our up-to-date books or our online we have a great pharmacy behind us a team behind us and we're always able to help mums as best as possible you do great work but there's only two of you you better mention your colleague i i hope i did mention shanine right mm. now shanine is over in the multi, in the day room and she's launching our audit findings because we're so proactive as a little team of two we have completed an audit this year and um we're rewarding the staff today with cupcakes that are all nicely designed with breastfeeding appropriate decorations. Shanine is launching that there now as I'm speaking to you. There are two of us. I'm full-time. Shanine works part-time. And we work together well as a team. And we are so blessed. We have finally gotten our clinical midwife specialist placements. Mm. And to say as well, the government are looking at increasing the number of we call CMSs in lactation in the hospitals. And the minister announced in May, I think it was, that he's going to employ another 24. The funding is there. And it's seen that in education is necessary for staff to support the women because women are saying to us, I need the help. And we want to be able to provide them with the best help possible. So it's coming at, you know, we're meeting in the middle. We're coming from two sides. Lovely. And important to say again, antenatal classes, uh, they've been affected by this too as well. But it's when you're pregnant and you're being introduced to this whole new world, you would say, I take it, Brendan, that if you're looking at this whole area, breastfeeding is something you should consider from early on and not leave it till the event itself happens. Absolutely. And listening to the various talks that have been on lately, certainly over National Breastfeeding Week, we're looking at, yes, women engaging at a very early time. Even is it our responsibility to go into schools and introduce breastfeeding from a very early age to normalise it? I didn't mention earlier about um, my child, although you mentioned it, I didn't develop on it. It's a wonderful resource. Um, there's live um, contact there as well if a mum does want to make contact because breastfeeding.ie is amalgamated into the mychild.ie website. And although we missed out on face-to-face education, the hospital here did run via the MLU online um, education. So, again, that's still available. Yes, there was a lapse because of the COVID, but we hope that all returns. And, yes, the sooner mum engages, the better. And educate herself, her partner, family, because it takes a community to rear a child. 
So feeding is part of that community. And um, again, the booklet we give out in the antenatal clinic is My Pregnancy, a wonderful resource. And again, it's, it's from mychild.ie. It's government-led. And I think, you know, it's there. It's a good resource and um, it's a starting point. Lovely. Thank you so much for joining me again on this special week this year. Wish yourself and Janine all the very best there with what's going on this week. Mychild.ie. Check it out. Brenda, thanks a million as usual. No, thank you, Jerry. All the best. Have a good day. You Take too. Bye bye. That's Brenda Peeper Callan there, clinical midwife specialist in infant feeding at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. That's a lot on late lunch today. Tomorrow, Noel Rock is with us, coping with grief. We're going to talk to her about that too. Masters in clean living and loving it. And there are special Olympics locally. Well, they're looking for assistance with a new roof and more besides on your late lunch from 1.30. Paul McGinnis coming next with The Drive. We'll see you Thursday for a brand new show. Take care. Bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Drada Dundalk and Cavan. Let Blackstone Motors find the perfect car for you. With over 300 cars to choose from, we have the biggest selection of pre-owned cars in Drada Dundalk and Cavan. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie for more details. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.